The Sunday Review with Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Sunday Review. Betty Wood from Stilden Care Home tells us about the summer fair they've got coming up. Ben Gollum is here to explain about the online community he's created to help those battling with addiction. And Nikki Hopson and Beth Gavin are here to tell us about Aerial Company Theatre. Paul Tolmy chats to Carolyn Tyra from the Sussex Heart Charity about the work they do and the fundraising events they've got coming up. He also catches up with Esme Smithson and Rachel Avery about the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation and their annual tap dance fundraiser. And Carrie Overton finds out all about self-defence from expert Annabel Larkin. All coming up in this edition. Stilden Care Home in East Grinstead is specifically designed to enable older people to live independent, happy and fulfilling lives. On the 1st of July this year, they're running a summer fair. Betty Wood, Wellbeing Coordinator at the Home, is here to tell us more. Betty, thanks for joining me. Now, before we talk about the fair itself, tell us a bit more about the care home and the service you provide there. Um, thank you for inviting me. I am... Um... So uh, my position as a wellbeing coordinator means that I basically focus on what the residents want to do in their uh, later years. And um, I provide a service where I make sure that we have activities, events, any kind of program um, of entertainment. Um, I book all of that in and I'm the one that makes sure that we're having a nice time, you know, weekly, monthly yearly so uh, that that's my position um brendan care um themselves um have been a company for quite some years now um but i work in one of the homes in east grinstead called stilden um stilden is a home where people in their later life are encouraged to live as independently as possible um, and we have a focus on maintaining the quality and enjoyment of life here um, so our staff offer skilled care and are proud to do so in any atmosphere where residents feel in charge of their lives. Um, so we also include respite care. So people that might need a couple of weeks just to get over a break or um, any kind of illness. Or, you know, if you've got carers at home that might need a break too, like we're more than happy to have that respite care. Uh, we also have nursing care. We have 24-hour service where we have a nurse on charge all, all the way through. Um, we have end-of-life care as well. And we also have uh, flats attached. And um, we offer an extra care housing where um, people that live in their own homes here can continue to lead active and independent lives with access to care and personal support here. Fantastic. Now, as I mentioned, you've got a summer fair coming up on the 1st of July. What are your plans for the event? We do. We Well, we did a Christmas fair last year because we come out of COVID and we wanted to bring a, a more community feel to the home. Um, and it went well, but we thought we can do better than that. So we're doing a summer fair. Um, we're looking um for stall holders if they want to come down and, and grab a stall and sell some wares we're um, we're looking for people to do that um we have been advertising on social media and we've got a few people already interested uh, i've got entertainment we've got um a lovely lady called jenny green coming in to um sing for us and uh she'll be there for the whole afternoon um we've also got uh, refreshments for an afternoon tea we've got um, 
face painting set up. We've got a Stilden stall where we're selling soap that the residents have made. We've got a book stall. We've got a bottle tombola if anyone would like to donate bottles towards our tombola. Uh, we're also doing a raffle. So if anyone has donations for prizes, that again is something we're requesting. Um, and we've got lots of things going on. So something that we have got planned is we're going to have a plants area where we'll sell plants. And I have got an ice cream truck um, turning up as well. So uh, we're all very excited to have a Mr. Whippy in the sunshine. We'll keep our fingers crossed for good weather on the 1st of July then. Yeah, definitely. It should be good. So are you looking for anything else from the local community? Do you need people to come along and help out on the day, for instance? Um, so all of us that will be there will be volunteering our time. Um, so all the staff that we've asked to um, come and help us for the summer fair, they're, they're like a small committee that we got together here in the home. Um, so I'll be there. I'll be volunteering my time um, to set it all up and get it all going. Um, but also um, just seeing if anyone else would like to volunteer. Uh, we do have a, an application form on our website. So if you are interested in volunteering, and I mean, this could be for the summer fair or it could be for anything, really. I do have one volunteer, for instance, that comes in to play chess with a, a, a man we have here. Um, and he comes every Sunday. So, I mean, if anyone's got spare time that they would like to do something that is, well, it can make a real difference to someone's life. And um, and for you as well, volunteering can be a lot of fun and a great way to keep physically, mentally and socially active and to meet new people and for my residents to meet new people too. Um, so if you would like to um, volunteer for us, if you go on the website of friendincare.org uk um, under volunteering there is a whole section that you can fill out and we'll get hold of you and is that the best place to go if people want to volunteer just for the summer fair if you want to volunteer on the actual day i would probably suggest to just give us a ring tell us who you are and what we, like that you would like to volunteer for the day and um yeah we'll get you all signed up and then we'll make sure that when you're here you can turn up and we'll know who you are and we'll put you to work. <laughs> That's great. Hopefully we can talk again nearer the time to find out more about what's going to be happening on the day itself. For now, though, Betty, thanks so much for joining me today. You're more than welcome and thank you. Have a lovely day. If you'd like to volunteer your time at the Stilden Care Home, you can visit brendancare.org.uk forward slash Stilden. That's brendancare.org.uk forward slash Stilden. Or if you'd like to help out at the summer fair and talk to someone in person, you can call them on 01342 305 750. That's 01342 305 750. We'll also post details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Ben Gullum never thought he'd describe himself as a sober guy, as drinking was ingrained in him. But at the age of 39, that's exactly what he did, as he had his very last drink. To tell us more about his journey, I'm delighted that Ben is with us now. Ben, welcome to the show. Now, before we talk about what you're currently up to, can you tell us a bit more about your own personal journey with drink? Certainly, of course I can. Um, I have struggled with drink all throughout my life, to be honest. Um, I discovered alcohol at an early age as a teenager. 
and I really enjoyed it and it made me feel like I was part of a crowd and as both myself and my friends got older um, they stopped and I continued to drink and it became more problematic in my life. Um, it's had various different uh, negative consequences. Um, I wouldn't say I was ever physically dependent on alcohol but emotionally very much so. Um, I am aware that people get addicted to alcohol in all sorts of different ways, um, but for me it was very much a, a coping mechanism, I would describe it as, uh, as a way to get through life, uh, which I decided later on I needed to address. So was there anything that acted as a bit of a driving force to make you stop at that particular point? There was no particular trigger as such, and actually uh, the majority of my, what I would describe as major incidents through alcohol, happened a lot earlier in my uh, journey. Um, what really happened at the age of 39 was the, my change in thinking. Um, so rather than think about the negatives of going without alcohol, I started to focus a lot more on the positives of what my life could look like without alcohol. Um, and just that switch in thinking really enabled me to kind of make changes that I'd not been able to make in the previous uh, 20 years in my journey with alcohol. Was there any time over those 20 years when you thought, I've got a bit of a problem here? Uh, various different times. Um, I had various periods of abstinence uh, during that time. I often uh, did a dry January. Um, but the problem that I found uh, with those periods would be that I would celebrate even harder after the dry January. Um, so if the 1st of February was on a Wednesday, then I would be drinking on that Wednesday. Um, and that kind of was when I started to get the first sort of alarm bells that actually something isn't quite right here. Um, and I probably needed to do something about it. And how's life been since you made that decision? Um, on the whole, it's been really, really positive. However, one of the reasons that I set up It's a Sober Guy is it's not positive in its entirety and actually getting sober brings with it a lot of challenges that I never had to face before. Um, to start with, I now need to face life without having the crutch of alcohol uh, and that brings a lot of hardship and a lot of hard feelings with it. Um, there are emotions that I experience now that I haven't experienced for a very long time and again it's been quite um, challenging for me. Um, I think alongside that, obviously, we have had a COVID lockdown and coming out of that and rediscovering myself, um, which we've all been doing a little bit of, has been really quite interested doing it sober. So tell us a bit more about It's That Sober Guy. You mentioned some of the reasons there behind why you set it up. What are you hoping to achieve through the community? So one of the big challenges I've found in my sobriety is that my friendship group has got smaller. Uh, and that's partly because some of my friends are still very much drinkers. Uh, and it's partly because as you get older, I think your friendship group does get smaller anyway. Um, I am a very firm believer in kind of overcoming problems from talking about them. And I kind of wanted to set up an online community to kind of enable uh, people to meet up, to talk. Um, the reason I went for online is I think um, this is a subject matter that really does um, go across nations, in all honesty. Um, but I think we can really help people on the ground by just talking about our experiences with each other. Um, and I don't 
necessarily want the community just to be about sobriety. Uh, one of the things that I personally also struggle with is my weight. And I was really looking forward to becoming sober because one of the things that you do see quite often is when people become sober, they do lose a significant amount of weight because they're not uh, consuming the calories as alcohol anymore. Uh, unfortunately, I went the other way. And for a period of time, I really did replace a lot of those calories uh, with sweet treats and snacks. Um, so I think there are a lot of challenges that a lot of people face when it comes to well-being. Um, I think you know sobriety is one part of it. I think nutrition is another part. Exercise is another part. Um, I'm a very big promoter of mental well-being. I'm involved in my professional life as a mental health first aider. And I think, yeah, they all tie in and they all link really closely together. Um, but I do think, you know, we've lost a little bit of that kind of community uh, feel that we would have had 10, 15 years ago. And I think uh, we can use an online platform to hopefully bring some of that community back. Now, on your website, you've got lots of useful resources for individuals seeking help with addiction. What advice would you have for someone who's struggling and perhaps doesn't know where to turn? Um, the first call I would always recommend is somebody speak to their GP. Um, obviously, addiction, that you can have both a physical and mental addiction, and it's really important that you don't try to give up alcohol without getting professional advice first. Uh, and it's a sober guy is not that professional advice. Um, however, there are lots of professional organisations out there who can give that advice and make sure that somebody isn't going to do themselves more significant harm. But I do think that there is a gap where professional services, unfortunately, aren't funded like they used to be. Um, so while you can get some very immediate crisis intervention, that ongoing support isn't there like it used to be. And hopefully that's how or somewhere It's a Sober Guy can kind of uh, meet some of that gap at the very least. Now, with the experience of what you've been through and some of the people who you've probably talked to within your community, what are some of the common misconceptions or misunderstandings that people still have about addiction and recovery that you think it's important to address? Um, I think uh, the misconceptions uh, around addiction are that you know people will be addicted always to a level where it's having massive impacts on their life. And I think addiction is different for absolutely everyone. Um, and what that can look like um, is different for everyone. It's really difficult when you're talking about addiction because there are a lot of words that work for people and don't work for others. I personally like the word sober. Um, other people, you know, that really doesn't work for them. I've never really liked the word alcoholic but I do recognize that I definitely had a problematic relationship with alcohol for a number of years of my life. Um, and then the misconception of sobriety is definitely that it's a boring thing because actually it really isn't. And it has pushed me really far out of my com um, comfort zone. Um, I would never have done something like starting up It's a Sober Guy uh, before giving up alcohol. Uh, putting myself online has been really quite scary. Um, there has been a lot of positive comments uh, with me putting myself online, but with everything, there's negative criticism as well. Um, 
but actually my experience in its entirety around my sobriety has been really, really positive on the whole. And I want to kind of continue that and hopefully be able to use that to help other people on their journey. So if somebody's interested, tell us a little bit more about how they can get involved in the community. So the community is still very, very new uh, and we are still developing at the moment. Um, to get involved, people can come to our website, which is www.itsatsoberguy.com, and they can either join as a free subscriber or as a paid member. Uh, a free subscriber will get regular contact and updates uh, all around different uh, parts of sobriety and other uh, well-being uh, articles and blogs. And then the paid membership is for people who are looking for a little bit more accountability. And that might be with their sobriety or any other goal that they're looking for. Um, the membership itself, I've tried to keep it to as low as possible. Um, so it works out around £50 a year or £5 a month if you want to do it on a monthly basis. And that's purely there to try to cover some of the costs involved with web hosting and the other kind of cost of running an online business. Ideally, I would love for this to become my you know, main job, a main career, but in reality, I don't ever think that would be the case, and I want to do this to actually give something back, um, but I do think there is something uh, valuable in a small paid membership, simply because it also shows commitment of the people who want to join that sort of group that they do want to make some form of change. And is the community just open for those struggling with addiction or could maybe a loved one or a friend who's supporting someone else through their struggles get benefit from being a member? 100% it's open to anybody who would like to join the community. It can be people who've experienced uh, addiction themselves. It could be they've experienced addiction through a family member or it could be somebody literally looking to change you know, any aspect of their life that is... Um, they want to try something that's a little bit unconventional and have a bit of accountability uh, outside of the normal channels that you know already exist there. So yeah, more the merrier. Um, I'm a firm believer in actually best way to overcome our differences as human beings is to openly discuss them. Um, so yeah, we absolutely welcome anyone who would like to join. That's great. Ben, thanks so much for joining us and telling us more about It's That Sober Guy. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. To find out more about the community and become a member, visit itsthatsoberguy.com. That's itsthatsoberguy.com. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Aerial Company Theatre are a Sussex-based family business who run drama academies for young people across the county, including here in East Grinstead. They teach drama, singing and dance skills, as well as running junior and senior choirs and regularly staging performances. To tell us more, I'm joined by Nikki Hobson and Beth Gavin. Nikki, Beth, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Now, Nikki, for those who haven't heard of you before, can you explain a bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I'm the co-owner with my husband, Neil. It's our 30th anniversary, not of our marriage, but of our of us actually having our theatre company, Aerial Company Theatre. We've been um, performing all around uh, Sussex in, in various theatres 
for the last 30 years, the last 15 years, we have had our own academies teaching students and currently we teach uh, approximately seven to eight hundred students across our seven seven academies. We've just opened two weeks ago our Uckfield one, uh, which we're really excited about. Um, so yeah, that's what we do. We, we're we're a production company, so we do productions, but also we're an educational establishment where we we teach students singing, dance, and drama. Fantastic. So just focusing on the academies for a moment, what sort of sessions do you run? Well, they're um, 45 minutes singing, dance and drama, and that's for between seven and 19 year olds. With our younger ones, we just do an hour first thing in the morning um, because obviously they're that bit younger. They can't really. It's too, too much within three hours. But also we have special provisions for students with educational needs, and that's an hour session. And we have those actually very, very successful ones across all the academies. But our East Grinstead one particularly, um, we have lots and lots of amazing actors with additional needs and that's um, out of our East Grinstead Academy on a Saturday lunchtime. So can you give us a bit of a taste of what students will do at one of the sessions? Well I think the difference with with our teaching I, I believe having worked for other companies is that we're very bespoke and we really try and stretch we try I think we do achieve stretching the students our lessons are very eclectic um, and diverse. We like them to be working on really age-appropriate subjects, especially with our older students. We like them to really um, be as creative as they possibly can throughout all our genres, dance, singing um, and drama. So I think that's where our niche is. I think we're very eclectic with our, with our material that we teach. And is there a specific age range that you teach? Yeah, uh, with our mainstream, it's between seven and 19. Um, and they're all obviously in their own appropriate age groups when we teach them. Also, we're quite unique where we have in every class, we have as much as we can a support tutor because we feel that it's very important that children don't get missed or overshadowed in big classes. We keep the classes small. Uh, with the emphasis on you know every child matters and making sure they have individual attention as much as we can. Now you touched on this earlier but if you've got students that have particularly specific needs how are you able to cater for them? I think by having the support tutors that's what makes us very very different and our tutors are they they really communicate um, all the time with regards so we, we make sure we don't miss any student that we feel that, that could be stretched more or maybe needs a little bit more individual attention. Um, yeah, we really pride ourselves in that. Now, I noticed on your website you talk quite a bit about Lambda exams. What are they and how do you help students prepare for them? Yeah, we, we're we very unique. I'll pass you over to um, Beth about this. Um, and we were both we both teach it, uh, qualified to teach the, the syllabus. Uh, um, I'll just say that we provide it. We're very unique with the sense that we provide it free of charge within our academies. But I will pass you over to the lovely Beth. Hi. So, yes. Yeah, so Lambda is a brilliant initiative um, run out of Lambda Drama School. And we are very proud to teach the syllabus, um, as Nikki said, free of charge in our academies. Um, but we also offer private tuition as well. So it gives students the opportunity to work one to one 
for two to one if they're doing the duologue strand um, with experienced tutors and in the lesson they work towards uh, confidence building, um, strength in public speaking, characterisation, all the sort of fundamental skills which are really transferable and they will undertake an exam which we offer, we run our own private centre through Lambda and we're really proud to be offering this at our Saturday academies, but also outreach to local schools. So we've got some nice connections with secondary schools in the area um, to uh, offer this service as well. And we have also, um, we're really proud to have been fundraising ourselves to offer a Lambda to our fellows. So there are SEN students. Um, so students are able to undertake Lambda exams and qualifications um, if they have additional needs. And this is something that they, they wouldn't be able to access without our fundraising and our, and our staffing. Fantastic. So obviously you're going to pick up quite a lot of useful skills, but what other benefits does having a Lambda qualification give you? Well, it, uh, when you're older and you do your medal grade, so that's uh, grades six, seven and eight, they can be used towards UCAS points. So we have quite a lot of senior students uh, undertaking these exams to go towards their university applications. But also if university isn't the, the pathway that students want to go down, it is an opportunity to have monologues. So you work on a series of different monologues which you can use for drama school auditions or I've worked with students who just need that little bit of extra confidence to audition for school productions or um, productions within aerial. So it can be really transferable and sort of fast opportunities that come from this tuition. You mentioned there about productions and of course that's another big part of what you do. What have been some of the most memorable ones that you've done recently? Oh my goodness, well... Um, our biggest um, full-scale production um, was Our House, we did in 2019. Uh, we did that at the Hawth with an adult cast. Um, and it was, yeah, a, a brilliant, brilliant production. Lots of costume changes. You know, it's the Madness musical, so it's super vibrant, full of absolute, you know, classic hits. But over the years, we've done, we've done so many productions. Um, but of late... For our uh, students, we have been offering workshop productions, which um, take place. We stage them, we choreograph, we do all the singing in one week. So in the Easter holidays, we did a Shrek uh, with our junior cast, um, a full costumed production um, from students aged seven up to 18. And in the summer, we're offering Matilda. So again, a full costumed production. Um, they take place at the Newbury Theatre at Hurstwood Point. Wow, that seems like quite an undertaking in a week. It is, but yeah. we but we do it. And for the first time ever, because our workshops have been so popular since um, coming back from COVID, we're also offering an, an additional uh, workshop at Christmas. So we're doing Elf Junior um, on the 18th of December with two shows on the 23rd of December. Brilliant. Now, you also run choirs as well. Tell us a bit more about how they run. We have a lovely junior choir, the uh, Musicality Choir, um, which we have at Crawley um, and in Burgess Hill. And they really, uh, you know, tackle some really great pieces uh, of music, very contemporary. And then we have a gorgeous adult choir, which actually they were out this weekend. They were 
performing all over the place actually um and that's actually run by the East Grinstead principal Karen um and it's got a lovely community mm. vibe really lovely that makes some great friends um it's yeah they look like they have far too much fun they really do they they get out all all the time to lots of different events they meet up weekly so that's all on our website about our choirs as well excellent so if somebody's interested in joining one of the choirs or the academy what's involved and how can they get in touch with you so um we always advised everyone to head to our website um they will find everything they need there along with inquiry forms we offer free trials across our academies so um yeah i know there's there's no there's no commitments just come along see how you feel but um, we're sure everyone will have a really really brilliant time and just uh, if you don't mind me just i just popped into my head um uh, we did a unique piece um i wrote a play um that went on a few months ago called barnet hawks which is a comedy based around male mental health and we're actually looking currently for a sponsor to take it to another larger venue um so if anyone's out there that would like to sponsor a unique piece of theater that will be raising funds for men's mental health please do get back in touch with us with the contact details that beth just gave you that's great Nikki, Beth, thanks so much for your time today and for explaining more about Aerial Company Theatre. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Tim. It's lovely to Thank talk to you. you. Thanks. thanks, Tim. For more details on the drama academies, choirs and performances, along with a whole host of other activities, visit aerialcompanytheatre.com. That's aerialcompanytheatre.com. Or you can give them a call on 01444 250407. That's 01444 250407. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On Tuesday's mid-morning show, Paul Tolmy spoke to Carolyn Tyra from the Sussex Heart Charity. They're holding their annual sponsored walk in Brighton as we speak, but Paul found out more about the charity and other upcoming events. The Sussex Heart Charity is a non-profit organisation dedicated to improving the lives of people with heart conditions in Sussex. Um, and the mission is to increase awareness of heart conditions, promote prevention and early detection of heart disease, and support advances in treatment and rehabilitation. And since the start in 1987, the Sussex Heart Charity has been a vital resource for heart patients and their families in Sussex, providing funding for much needed equipment for hospitals, local community as well as supporting innovative research and new ways of working we also fund access to training for staff and professional development um, for NHS staff. Um, we do help to fund defibrillators for businesses and organisations and we've helped to install over 300 um, defibrillators across Sussex that are accessible to the public. Um, we have many requests, particularly in remote areas, recently one in a phone box, would you believe? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> a village had a phone box they no longer used and thought, you know what, that is the ideal place to put a defibrillator. Um, and, and I thought that was fantastic. That's a great story. So one way we can raise funds for our important work is through our annual Brighton Five Mile Sponsored Walk. Mm -hmm. Since 1992, the Sussex Heart Charity's walkers have raised over a half a million pounds which a charity has put towards its vital work of supporting heart health care in Sussex. It's important to say as well, isn't it, that it's, it's not, although heart treatment is important, 
it's 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 before and after as well that then that you've got to have the support there yeah definitely um and you know we work closely with the the uh, cardiac rehabilitation team at the hospitals mm. um and um, these guys will be there on the walk they t- they attend every year mm. um and people can chat to them ask questions you know if they've got any concerns they can come along and maybe um you know find somebody they can talk to and it's important not to suffer in silence for these things yeah. as well. you've got to you've got to definitely be, be, be do not suffer in silence go out or there worry. and talk to someone yeah 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 absolutely you were you were happy to talk about it as well you've had some heart problems yourself. i had heart yeah i had a heart um procedure done two years ago um mm. and um in one of the hospitals and amazing the staff were absolutely amazing and uh, much needed equipment was used um and i feel that's really good i can give something back um, to those that need it yeah because you've only been in the, you've not been in the role very long no i've only this is my sixth week in the role wow. um i'm learning a lot about the sussex heart charity and um you know really want to get the name promoted out there mm. we're going to have lots of future events um so you know people can keep an eye on our website um and find out what's going on you've got other events that you're uh, in the pipeline we have got other events, Paul. We've got um, the Brighton Half Marathon on Sunday, the 25th of February, 24, next year, um, where runners can sign up on our website to a VIP service, um, where they get use of the of Yellow Wave Clubhouse, which is close to the start and finish, um, pre and post race, um, and a post cool down massage courtesy of Natural Balance Therapies. Very nice. So, um, you know, to sign up for that, either to get a sponsorship form or to donate, please go to the website, Mm -hmm. sussexheartcharity.org, and you'll find all the information you need on the uh, Brighton Half Marathon. Um, We come and see us. We also actually have a stand at the Eastbourne Air Show this year, 17th to the 20th of August, um, where we will have um, a heart tree for people to write memories on, um, we'll have an Annie and a defibrillator to um, show people, you know, how they work um, and generally chat to people mm. um, and hope that people might, you know, if they've got a few extra pennies, put them in our pot for us. Um, we're going to do a lucky dip for the children um, and just have some fun. Mm. And come and give and giving out advice, which is what people always want and need. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, we've invited the um, cardiac rehabilitation team there. They're going to be doing some days of the um, air show for us on the stand. So, yeah, please do come along. If it's not them, then it will be the heart charity team um, on site. Mm. All right, fantastic. So uh, they're going to be at the Brighton Half Marathon in February, which is which always comes around really quickly when you're ru- when you're running it. It feels like it, some sometimes it's it's you know a couple of months away, and then all of a sudden it's tomorrow. That's how quickly it goes. Um, and then, of course, uh, so, so, and you've got other plans as well. So I think you're planning something at Christmas? Um, we're looking to plan something at okay. Christmas. Um, I'm also looking to plan a, a, a sponsored walk in Eastbourne on Easter Sunday mm. next year, um, wearing, you know, um, bunny rabbit costumes and giving out Easter eggs. But um, we're in the process of planning that. Right. But if they look at the website and keep an eye on our website, we also have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll be able to pick up on all of the events that we've got going on. And if you're not able to take any part in any of the events, you can always just set up a donation. Yeah, what? you can donate to the charity via the website. Mm-hmm. There's lots of different ways you can donate. Um, so please go and take a look um, and you'll see all the good work that we do, um, but also the ways that you can donate. Mm. So you've got lots of big ideas going on at the moment. Yeah, to promote the mm. charity. Um, it's The charity started in 1970, 
um, and it was Brighton Charity initially, mm. um, and it grew and became the Sussex Heart Charity. So my, what I'd like to do is actually promote, you know, promote the charity, get everybody to know about us and what we do and all the good work that we do. Um, and that's really important. But by way of events is bringing people together, not only to raise vital funds, but also to, um, you know, to talk to people, um, you know, and they could get advice or just feel more comfortable in the presence of other people that have had similar, you know, similar conditions mm. to themselves. Carolyn Tyra talking to Paul Tolney. If you'd like to find out more about the Sussex Heart Charity, including help and advice on heart conditions, the events they have coming up, and how you can support them with funding, visit sussexheartcharity.org. That's sussexheartcharity.org. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On the latest edition of Wellbeing Weekly, Carrie Overton found out all about self-defence from local resident Annabel Larkin. I set up a self-defence personal safety business called Actively Safe, teaching self-defence to, to everyone really, um, women, mothers and daughters, teenagers, and also going into our, our local schools to, to cover our personal safety with them as well. Fantastic. So... What brought you into this field? <laughs> so it's been a bit of a journey. Um, when I was at university, I took up kickboxing oh. and I absolutely loved it. And at the end of each session, my instructor would spend 15 minutes just going through some techniques that he thought were more relevant to, to being on the street. So... Um, you know, there's, there's a difference between martial arts and self-defense, mm. um, but the martial arts has stayed with me throughout my whole life. Right. I've tried various different arts, um, most recently an Indonesian salat. That's what I've been training in for the last five years. Oh, I've not heard of that. What's that then? No, it's great. It's um, a very ancient art and you, you fight um, open palms, right. so no closed fists, no protective clothing, you fight standing up on the ground, you deal with multiple um, opponents, you use weapons, and that's um, that's much more relevant to, to self-defense than some, some other martial arts. Right. Um, but I guess for me, it was really when I became a mum myself, um, that was when it was time for a big career change mm. for me and uh, step away from the, the city life and do something that I actually feel quite passionate about. Mm. So this is a big change. It's a really big change for me, yes. And one you're glad you've made. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. I love all the people that I work with. I mm. love meeting lots of different people, mm. understanding why they want to come and learn self-defence because they come for a whole whole range of reasons what sort of yeah that's a that's a really <laughs> interesting point what sort of reasons do people come to self-defense so um, a mix of reasons i've had ladies that have come to workshops maybe because they're due to go off traveling either as solo travelers or they need to go away on a on a work trip and mm. they just want to to boost their confidence mm. before they go or it might be teenagers that are about to transition to secondary school mm or they, they may be coming to the end of their school life and thinking about taking a gap year or going off to university. And for some people, it is, uh, it's more of a healing process. They have experienced something, mm. you know, quite, quite horrific, and it's a way of 
taking back control and mm. regaining that that confidence. Mm. So a whole range of reasons and and other people they just they just like hitting pads it's it's good for fitness <laughs> well i mean martial arts are incredibly good for fitness uh, aren't absolutely, they absolutely yes and so i bet people get all the right real sweat on in your workshops yes and <laughs> i know i know you're going to talk about stress in your, your next part of the show but yeah. it's a really good stress buster what's the difference between sort of why you do martial arts and why you do self-defense um okay so uh, I say they say they're different. Um, obviously, there is a lot of crossover. I'm not saying you know if you do martial arts, you can't defend yourself on the yeah. street. Um, but martial arts is generally, you know, you sort of commit to it over a long period of time to really refine techniques. Mm. Um, a lot of martial arts, you will wear gloves. You might bind your wrists. You're wearing protective clothing. Mm. It happens in a controlled environment, in you know somewhere with a, a nice floor. Um, you know, there's there's rules, there's moves that you can't do, there's illegal moves, there's a referee to make sure that no one actually does get hurt. And respecting your opponent is a big part of, of martial arts as mm. well. Whereas for self-defense, you know, anyone might need that mm. um, in any environment. Mm. And, you know, who, who if you do need it, the person that's potentially attacking you, the aggressor, that they, they don't respect you. Right. You're not wearing your protective clothing. And, you know, the everyday person doesn't have years and years to, to train, to perfect, to get to the top of a of a, a martial arts structure so and no umpires or no rules umpires or yeah no one there to make sure that you don't actually get hurt so so if you don't mind me asking have you ever had to use your martial arts in a real life situation no no i've been very lucky i mm. haven't but part of the self-defense training is what what comes first is really working upon situational awareness so okay and then avoiding situations where where you can that could potentially be be dangerous. So before we even get to the physical element, there's these other parts about um, being aware of your surroundings, knowing where your exit points are, mm. and things like that. Um, taking avoiding action. You know, if there's someone in the street walking towards you, and for whatever reason they make you feel uncomfortable, you don't have to you know justify why you feel uncomfortable. You just the road you put put distance between yourself and that situation that that you feel uncomfortable about so before we even get to the physical bit there's there's lots that we can practice in our, our day-to-day lives to improve the chances that we don't end up in a situation where mm. we need to to physically defend ourselves that's a really good point actually i mm. hadn't even thought of that as part of self-defense <laughs> is is before you even need to hit or kick or whatever it is that you might yeah. do, being safe. And we're fortunate that for the majority of us, East Grinstead is a pretty safe and forest road. We is, live in a yeah. safe, <laughs> relatively safe part of the of the country. Um, but if I'm ever walking home and I feel a bit, oh, you know, it's a bit late, I just pretend I'm on the phone or I phone someone. Are those the sorts of things? Is that quite a good idea? Or um, I think if you are actually on the phone, hmm. again, that can take away some of those senses right so, so i know people feel sec- secure having their their phone in your hand but often that can be that can be a, mm. a distraction it, it takes away from actually opening your eyes to what's going on around you and lis- listening out to to what's going on around you so i think i think one of the most important things you can do is actually walk with confidence and right. 
body posture, body language is something that we talk about as well. Again, before you get to that bit where you need to use physical self-defense, a body language is so important because it communicates to other people how we feel about ourselves. Yeah. So if, if you feel confident, if you look confident, you're less likely to be seen as, a, as an easy target. What sort of tips on just walking and stance do you give people? So <laughs> a big one is head out the phone. And right. <laughs> you just have to drive down East Grinstead High Street. Oh. And the amount of people head down in a mobile phone. And we all do it. It's not, yeah. it's not just a teenager thing. Yeah. There's plenty of adults out there completely distracted by phones. So a big one is put away the electronic distractions. Right. Just stand up straight. Hold, hold your head up shoulders down work walk with a sense of purpose mm. don't dawdle you don't have to run or rush mm. but just walking with a sense of purpose and making eye contact with with the people that you walk past you don't don't have to give them a hard aggressive stare but just you know that eye contact you know i've i've noticed you and it right. says says to people you know i, I could recognize you again if if i had to yeah i've, I've, seen, I've you. seen you i've noticed you yeah. um so yes Body language is important and you don't have to be physically big. You no. can be very petite and still walk with with confidence. So is there a legal element of what you can and can't do with self-defense? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. There is, there's a legal framework. And I think the first thing to realise is that actually everyone has the legal right to use force to defend themselves. And that right, it can't be taken away from you. So... You know, if you maybe work in a hospital or a nursing home, your employer can't say you're not allowed to use force to defend yourself. And the same, the same in schools, actually. Yeah. Children, they, they have a, a legal right to, to use force to defend themselves. However, <laughs> this is where we do need to be careful because um, there is this legal framework. And if you do use force to defend yourselves, then it has to be what we call necessary and proportionate. Right. And... What that means is basically the force that you use in defending yourself prevents a greater harm from occurring. Right. Um, so, for example, if you're walking down the high street in East Grinstead and somebody suddenly reaches out and grabs your wrist, that person, you know, they don't necessarily mean to cause you harm. They could be reaching out to stop you from walking out in front of traffic that you haven't seen. So how you react to that situation would be very, very different to uh, coming out from the pub late at night and someone steps out of a dark alleyway mm. and maybe grabs hold of you. Mm. So, yes, it's, it's all based on case law um, and this idea of necessary and proportionate and the way you respond. Are you acting honestly and in instinctively in the way that, that you react to the, to the situation? When we talk about self-defence, we always say... If you can turn and run, that's what you want to be doing. You right. don't want to stay and, and engage in a situation that is potentially aggressive. If you're in a position that you can run, do and sh shout, use your voice, try and attract attention to yourself. Um, if you have no other choice but to maybe use force to defend yourself, then self-defense is really about working with what the body would do instinctively and not having this range of complex patterns that you that you need to remember. So I, I tend to say there's no there's no right or wrong. What we do is with self defence, we teach working with our 
large muscle groups, very simple techniques that anyone can can recall when they're they're under stress or under that pressure situation. Annabel Larkin from Actively Safe explaining to Carrie Overton the basics of self-defence. You can listen to the whole interview on our Listen Again service accessed via the on-air menu on meridianfm.com. For more information about the classes that Annabel runs, visit activelysafe.co.uk. That's activelysafe.co.uk. We'll post links to both on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Also on his mid-morning show this week, Paul Tolmey spoke to Esme Smithson and Rachel Avery about the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation and their annual tap dance fundraiser. So Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation is the UK's leading lung cancer charity. We are the only lung cancer charity solely dedicated to supporting everyone affected by the disease. And we do that in a number of ways, kind of three primary aims of the charity. So a lot of that is to do with research, particularly research into early detection, because Mm -hmm. we know when lung cancer is caught early, it's far easier to treat and treat with curative intent. We do a lot of work supporting people living with the disease. Um, That's particularly important at the moment in the cost of living crisis. A lot of patients are going through you know, terrible circumstances mm. uh, made even harder with the cost of living crisis. So we have a nurse-led helpline that's there to support. We offer patient grants to those kind of really in financial need. And then the other big area of work that we're doing is, is kind of awareness raising. So awareness of signs and symptoms and encouraging people with signs and symptoms to, to go to the doctor as soon as possible. And also raising awareness of the, the targeted lung health check programs that are around England at the moment. Mm. We're working with NHS England on the, on this life-saving program. Ultimately, it's a um, pilot program for lung cancer screening. Uh, and to date, we've had um, 1,750 people have been diagnosed through the program with an early detection rate of 76%, which just absolutely turns things on its head. So does. there's a lot happening, and Roy Castle's at the heart of it. It is, and um, of course we've got the, uh, we've got your time to tap event coming up, of course, and you've got those iconic pictures of uh, Roy, of course, uh, back in I think it was 1970 something, 1977, on retro braces when he was dancing around the middle of the uh, around the middle of the uh, television centre. Uh, so uh, you're obviously hoping to replicate that with your time to tap event coming up. Yeah, I mean, Roy Roy is synonymous with tap dancing, and that's, you know, as we will tell you a little bit about the event itself in a moment, but, you know, our charity is named after a fantastic man, and his legacy is continuing through our work, and one of the the ways we're doing that is is with the Time to Tap event. Roy was a huge tap dancer. He held world records for tap dancing, and I made a note, actually, because it still absolutely staggers me. So he held the fastest tap dance of 1,440 taps per minute yeah. that's 24 taps per second it's just extraordinary it um we're not asking people to replicate that on <laughs> no. the event so don't panic it's for all ages and abilities well, I, I would love to see so, i'd love to see somebody try though <laughs> it would be yeah, pretty cool yeah i mean maybe maybe when we've had a few drinks we can have a go but, uh, <laughs> we'll leave it to the professionals um, so tell us about the uh, event, because obviously you're not going to get people to do a million taps in 24 hours like he did, but this is a chance to dust off the tap shoes and uh, raise some money, some vital funds for a wonderful cause as well. Yeah, absolutely. So this is our annual tap dancing fundraising event. It's very much beloved by ourselves, by our supporters. Everyone looks forward to it every year. 
like you said, we are named after one of the UK's most iconic tap dancers. Uh, so it's really good to continue Roy's legacy by inspiring the nation to get tapping and raising money to help this incredible cause. Um, so it is open to everyone, uh, whether you've taken a single lesson or you are a tap dancing professional. And we really do encourage individuals, teams, dance schools, everyone to get involved. Um, so how you get involved is you register. Uh, and by doing that, you'll receive step-by-step -step videos teaching a beginner and an advanced routine. And these are choreographed by our host, Claire Miller. Claire is an incredible, incredible tap dancer. She's best known for her live performances at the Love Supreme Jazz Festival and at the Royal Albert Hall's Elgar Room. So you receive these videos, learn the routine, and then on the 21st of May, everyone from across the country will get together virtually over Zoom to dance the routines together, led by Claire, and with the support of the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation staff, we'll all be on the call, cheering you on, uh, giving you lots of support. It's really special uh, and incredible way to bring everyone together virtually, uh, just as Roy did with his uh, tap dancing. So you'll receive your support all the way through. The fundraising team is always on hand with advice and guidance from setting up your Just Giving page to top tips for raising funds and to asking for sponsorship. Registration is £10 for individuals and £7.50 per head for dance schools, so it's really accessible. Uh, you'll receive the videos from Claire, an invite to the Zoom, and you'll also get a medal to celebrate your dancing achievements. Uh, everyone who registers will also receive an invite to our Time to Tap Facebook group, which is this really lovely community uh, of people taking on the challenge together. You can swap stories, give advice, talk about the routines, uh, and just make some more friends within the dance community. And then additionally, if you do hit your fundraising target, which this year is set at £50, you'll receive an exclusive Time to Tap 2023 t-shirt as a thank you to show off all your hard work. Um, it's a really beloved event. Uh, last year, our amazing tappers raised £18,000, which is life-changing money, um, and we'd love to smash that this year. So if your listeners are interested in getting involved, they can visit roycastle.org forward slash time dash two dash tap for more information and all the registration details. Tell us, ladies, where the, um, with the money that's raised from this event, where will it, uh, what will it be used for? As I said, I mean, there's three areas of work that we kind of really pride ourselves with in the charity, and that's research, support, and awareness. Um, so it will go towards that um, predominantly. But at the moment, the cost of living crisis is just having an unbearable, putting an unbearable pressure mm. on, on people living with lung cancer. Being told you've got lung cancer in the first instance, you know, it, it tears your world apart. Yeah. Um, and now that dire situation is being made even more anxious, even more frightening. You've got people that are, are fearful that the cost of living crisis is going to impact on their treatment. They're worried about how they're actually going to get to hospital for treatment. People with lung cancer, they, they often lose weight. Um, they feel the cold more. Treatments can have um, impact on their appetite. So it really is an absolutely dire situation. And, mm. and one of the ways we try and support people through that is through our patient grant scheme. Um, so people living with the disease can um, apply for a grant, just a small financial relief grant. And it just takes that little bit of pressure off, gives people a little bit of respite. Mm. So a lot of the money will go towards that. Mm. We, were, we were talking earlier in the programme to um, Carolyn Tyra from the Sussex Heart Charity, who was, and we were saying about how it's not just the, um, the, the issues that you face, it's, it's before and after as well. I guess that's the same for lung cancer patients. It is, and, and we really pride ourselves on being able to support people right through. So from 
from the moment they've got symptoms and helping make them aware of, of all the different symptoms of lung cancer because I think a lot of people are surprised by the many different symptoms, you know, shoulder pain, back pain, uh, chest pain. These are all symptoms of lung cancer as well as the persistent cough and breathlessness. Mm. And then all the way through um, diagnosis, helping people through um, understanding all the medical jargon that's being thrown at them at a very confusing, scary time. And then right through to treatment, um, we're there every step of the way, just to make it as, as easy as possible for everyone affected. What else have you guys got coming up this year? Oh, I mean, in fundraising, we have always got something mm. on the go. Uh, coming up, we've got a sponsored hiking challenge. We're currently uh, in the middle of recruiting for our Swimming the Sites Challenge, where you can pick a distance based on a famous landmark uh, and try to swim that distance within the month. Uh, I really encourage everyone to get on our website, roycastle.org, or follow our socials. So on Facebook and Insta, we are Roy Castle Lung Cancer, and on Twitter, Roy underscore Castle underscore Lung. We're always promoting the things that we've got going on, and we'd love to get as many people involved as possible to raise these funds. Esme Smithson and Rachel Avery talking there to Paul Tolmy. For more information about how you can get involved in the Time to Tap event and the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation in general, visit roycastle.org. That's roycastle.org. And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. We'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM on meridianfm.com or you can download the next edition of this podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.